0: hey richard gottlieb chris burns how you doing i'm doing just fine how are you my friend i am holding on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I am doing just, <laughs> I am doing just fine. It is another day in quarantine, but another day with another exciting guest for the Playground Podcast. And this is the Playground Podcast with me, Chris Byrne and Richard Gottlieb. And we are brought to you by Global Toy Experts, Kid Stuff Public Relations, and The Toy Guy. And today, we've got another industry veteran sitting down with us, Mr. Ken Lewis.
1: Yay! <laughs> Good morning,
0: guys. Good morning.
2: Ken Lewis, you are... I think, maybe the nicest guy in the toy industry. I don't know, but you're pretty close. (laughs) And and you are also, uh, I think, extremely knowledgeable about the global and American toy industries at a very granular level. So we want to welcome you to the show. I guess my first question, Kenny, is is why don't you just take a minute for that odd person out there who doesn't know who you are. Who could that be? Give him a... (laughs) Jim, uh, it's Leslie in San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> and give Leslie and the rest of our viewers uh, just a quick
1: bio? Uh, I'm a second-generation toy person. My dad started in the toy industries in the 50s, uh, had a company in the 60s and 70s called LJN Toys. He founded that. I graduated from university, worked in advertising. I got a call to come join the toy industry after we picked up another line. That was 37 years ago and never looked back and love what I do.
2: What's your name of your company now, Ken?
1: My main company that is 4Kids, Inc. And 4Kids has been in business 26 years. And we primarily OEM manufacture today for selective live entertainment attractions around the world.
0: And as you mentioned, you do a lot for live entertainment tell us a little bit about what's going on right now for you. This is a, an unprecedented challenging time and you probably have been hit as hard or if not harder than many of the companies out there.
1: Yes, live entertainment is non-existent per se. One of my largest customers is Disney theme parks and some of the others and we are living a a world that just basically went on hold. Development has stopped. Projects that were in the process of final approvals for this year have been suspended. And it's a wait-and-see type of attitude right now. We will use the Shanghai Park and the the other parks offshore around the world as guidance as how they open and how they handle. But sales aren't the same of what they were when you're running at 25 30% capacity. And frankly, it's been a tough road. Uh, When you look at it and realistically, because of development and lead times, we're probably talking 2022, 2023 before this industry or from a creative development of new product really starts up again.
0: And that assumes that we get this virus in control and there's a vaccine and we can go back to some level of business and living that is, quote unquote, normal.
1: That's absolutely correct. Social distancing in the parks right now is is become a norm. You know, we're seeing it with Orlando and Disney. Again, reinforces the, the face mask policy.
2: Kenny, you know Disney operation more than uh, as an outsider more than a lot of people do. Do you do you have any insights on where Disney's head is right now?
1: I wish I did. I know I own the stock. <laughs> uh, I believe in the company long term. Right now, it's a hiccup, right? Uh, anybody who is depending on theatrical releases is running into issues. But then again, look at what they did with Hamilton. That's a perfect example how we're seeing the changing of releases to theater. Trolls is another great example uh, how it turned into a very big success. Uh, and I think if this is prolonged, we're going to see theatrical releases become more of a norm to be streamed first on TV or through, you know, your, your own medium. It will be very interesting to see how just live entertainment or theater entertainment comes back, right? Until there is a vaccine, uh, how can Broadway afford to run a theater at 50% or 40% capacity?
0: To say it's nothing perfect. of a cast singing in each other's faces. <laughs> Yeah. so yeah. I, mean, I mean, seriously, it's dangerous for everyone across the board. I was wondering because I've I've been thinking a lot about this lately. The whole change in licensing that is that may in fact come out of this because if you're not releasing something in a theater on a specific weekend, you change the the timing. It's not a cultural event, and we could see it Saturday or we could see it next Thursday, or how do you see that impacting driving a toy brand?
1: It's a good question. Look at um, some properties that were released this year. For example, Paw Patrol, Ricky, Ricky Zoom. Right, if, if you look at Ricky Zoom, that was supposed to have its retail release uh, in March, right when the world fell apart, so to speak. And it delayed it from its retail side. How it's performing and how it's doing right now, I'm not quite sure, but that definitely impacted it. Where children are playing or how they get live medium today, it's an online world more than anything else for retail. So if they like the property that they're seeing, it will almost be an instantaneous purchase. I think it will translate rather quickly as opposed to holiday season or just waiting to go out to the store to get it.
0: Following that, could we actually finally get into a four-quarter business, which has been the holy grail since
1: the post-World War II years? I still think you're going to see it not happening totally <laughs> all year round. I mean, realistically, summertime and, let you know, it's spring, summer, outside, outdoor. We see that trend happening today. Where is the product that's being sold today? It's outdoor. Where was it sold before in the winter months? It's puzzles and games. Where will it be when we're still sitting around here in December, February, and January? It's going to be in games. It's going to be in puzzles. It's going to be nesting type of product that's going to sell if you're projecting ahead for the next six months.
2: Kenny, it strikes me that every day there's a new streaming service. and I don't know how anybody is supposed to decide which ones to subscribe to and and how much money they're willing to spend. But it it occurs to me that we are going to see a fracturing of content in terms of of what children are going to be seeing on television and what they're going to follow, because it's not going to just be a simple matter of changing the station, but are my parents subscribed to this particular network? So do you have any feelings on the future of media-driven toys?
1: I think uh, one of your interviews you had recently with PlayMonster is a good example where they've created their own IP and and they're taking it to their own release through YouTube medium and creating the demand that way. That's a very unique way of approaching it. And I give those guys credit for trying something different. YouTube and that whole genre is very strong If you're talking about just streaming it's going to be disney plus is a given right because if you have a child you're going to want the disney title uh i would assume netflix but you know now you have peacock you you have hbo you have so many different versions out there i started looking at peacock the other day and it was memory lane of all that shows up when i was a kid um it was great i actually remembered them um If I could
2: just take us for a minute uh, away from Disney and and media and talk a little bit about China and Hong Kong, you not only have been going to Hong Kong and China for a long time, uh, you go several times a year. You have an office in Hong Kong. Uh, You're very uh, you're on a very granular level. You're very aware of what's going on over there. I'm, I'm not asking you anything. I don't want you to get engage in anything political. We're not asking for that. But I am very interested in, what's the near-term and long-term future of Hong Kong as the very center, the global heart of the toy industry?
1: I would think it is. My dad started manufacturing toys in Hong Kong in 1967. So it's kind of been in our blood a long time. Mm -hmm. We started entering into mainland China in 83, 84, and really manufacturing uh, full-blown in 85. It's such a different environment today. I do four or five trips a year, and, you know, to some of my peers, that's not a lot. To some of my peers, that is a lot. It's a very big part of me, uh, Hong Kong. I see right now no one going over, one, just because of the restrictions in place for quarantining. I don't anticipate anybody in Hong Kong in January, and I really don't believe— for the first half of 2021, we're going to have anybody coming over or buying groups. And if they come over and if it's in some form, odds are that they might just go straight into China and work directly through their buying offices in mainland China and bypass Hong Kong completely. I think we're in a stage where we're seeing a change going on there. One of my leases, I have a showroom and I have an office and our showroom lease is up in March. And seriously, considering not renewing it, because I don't see the demand or need for it in the near term. Uh, And I do believe our our patterns are going to change. These virtual meetings have done that. Uh, And again, for a lot of people, the Hong Kong trip, if you source and you're creating product, is a really important trip. If you're doing international, European, Latin America sales, it's a very important trip when they tie into the to the fairs, um, because all those customers are there but for a u.s buyer or u.s customer i'm beginning to think that there might not be real justification for them to be there unless they absolutely are creating their own product range
2: do, do you see any uh alternatives to hong kong this year for instance do you think there'll be more people will meet in los angeles or do you think it's all going to be pretty much virtual
1: I can't imagine anybody meeting at all this year face-to-face. None of my customers have indicated that, and in everything that we're doing is done through virtual meetings. Um, not a single meeting that I know of, including all the way through October at this point, will be face-to-face. And my, you know, some of my customers told me that they're not even going back to their office until the beginning of next year. And how will that landscape be for presenting in small rooms like we normally do? You go into a Walmart, you know, a presentation room and it's small. How do you, how do you distance? How do you, you know, so, and, and what buyer right now or what company is going to send a buyer to go see somebody?
0: And we're going to take a quick break right there. We will be right back. And we're back. This is the Playground Podcast. I'm Chris Byrne, along with Richard Gottlieb, and we are continuing our conversation with Ken Lewis.
2: Well, Kenny, I, I wrote an article this week, and it said, I think it was entitled, "The Problem with Virtual Trade Shows Is They're Boring." And <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I said, I, because the the commitment's not there. You haven't traveled. You haven't spent money. You haven't done anything. You're just sitting in your at home. But that's different than an effective uh, digital virtual sales meeting. Can you describe for us uh, your experience in having these kind of meetings with people and who does not who does it well, but in the broad strength, what what is the right way to do it? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I've sat in meetings from anywhere where there's multiple cameras, there's product on turntables to, you know, you're doing finger and puppet shows. Um, it, the, the virtual meeting, the hardest part and the most important part of doing a sales presentation is that very first presentation. That ah, gee Wiz moment, the element of surprise when you take the item out and your customer sees it for the first time. You know, hopefully they break the prototype that you're doing because they become engaged in it, right? <laughs> That's the most special meeting. Everything after that can be followed up virtually because it's paperwork or it's it's creative thinking, it's think tanking. But that first gee Wiz, ah, that capture of the moment is what you can't get virtually, and it, no matter what, because, you know, when you see a face, you see the body language, uh, you can still catch it a little bit virtually. But until that item is in your customer's hands, and they can actually see it, feel it, or, you know, we did tactile stuff back in the 90s before it became trendy again right now. We were in that industry. We were leader in, of that industries in the late 90s, right? But to be able to push it and squeeze it and feel it. It, it makes what makes the product. And then everything else virtually is either a PowerPoint, video enhanced, short to the point. Uh, I found the longer you dwell on items unless there's conversation regarding it, the more disengaged the people become. There's too many distractions in the house or in their, their home office now.
2: Kenny, does this mean that we're going to have to have more prototypes I mean, do we need to send prototypes out in advance of the call, perhaps, with a big tape on the boxes, to not open until meeting?
1: I honestly don't know. I would love to think that that would help. But, you know, if you're a kid and you're like me, you want to open the box right away and see what's inside and say, heck, what's the surprise of the meeting? <laughs> and then fake it. <laughs> Um, but I, I honestly don't know. I mean I know through the through the people I'm working with it's right now process of development what was in the way for my customers, unless it's related to certain events, they're not creating new product right now they, you know for my trade that I focus upon. I wear another hat and I run a company uh, oversee a company called Kids toys, which is primarily musical toys. Uh, It was founded by a guy named Scott Spiegel, who passed away a few years ago. And upon his death, uh, he was a friend, kind of stepped in between to manage it for the family and for the investors in the company. Uh, That is more cyclical. It's musical toys. We are making presentations. And and that is pretty basic. That is just simple product. uh, And there's a video enhancement to give you the functions. And you embellish it that way. We tried the Toy Fair everywhere this week, and I think the site was very good. But for making presentations and meetings with customers, I don't know if that's an effective way for us to work.
0: It's also important to know that we are just at the beginning of this. We are four months into this process, and I am very impressed for all the glitches and all the challenges and the technologies. It's pretty amazing how resilient the toy industry has been. In, in this time. And there's a whole history of that. The toy industry's bounced back from world wars. They've used tariffs appropriately uh, in the past, and they've just really had to continue to reinvent itself. Where do you see the reinvention perhaps coming out of this? It's a It's an early question, premature, but I know everybody's very future-focused
1: at the moment. I have a habit. Every year, every January when I get on the plane to Hong Kong, I take out a book called Who Moved My Cheese? And then the basic premise of the book is we're creatures of habit. We go back to the same place where we've always made our income or earned our cheese. And we don't go see where the cheese has moved to or where it's going. The art of survival is being able to see the future or try to identify your cheese moving. There was a futurist at one of the toy industry events probably 14, 15 years ago. Who basically said, if you're a small manufacturer, your likelihood of survival in a big box retailer is non-existent. Your future is this thing called the internet. Not quite sure what it is, but the future is the internet. And it was a come, you know, it really was a wake up call for at least for me to see where I think the road is. We look at the future. The cheese keeps moving. Some of us are old enough
2: to remember when that book came out, which I think was at least 20 years ago, maybe more. Uh, but it was a very uh, important book. So can, can you tell us who, the name of the book again and the author? And then how does cheese fit into it all?
1: <laughs> uh, the book is called Who Moved My Cheese? The author is Spencer, uh, Dr. Spencer Johnson. Cheese is your income, my friend. It's who you do business with. Right. My company, 14 years ago, was primarily focused on, on mass market distribution. And I realized from a lot of wake-up calls, the TIA seminar, and reading this book the first time, that we were getting out of licenses, we were not a major brand anymore, and that my future wasn't really going to be mass market. Luckily, I had a separate business that was producing for people like Jim Burry and Disney, And I refocused our business on growing the private label side of it, which I thought was resilient.
2: (laughs) My recollection is the cheese metaphor work because he was comparing humans to uh, rats in a maze. Yes. And that the rat had to get to the cheese and the the rats had learned a certain
1: Way pattern more. Right. We go back to Hong Kong every October. We go to Toy Fair every February. That's our current cheese model. Right. Where is October Hong Kong going to be or Dallas going to be? Where is that cheese moving? It's moving virtually right now. Where will it be six months from now? It will probably still be virtual, but we'll become more proficient in what we do.
2: So basically, because the rat has learned the maize, they go to the same place, except the cheese isn't there anymore. And they start.
1: Right. Right. The guys who went to Toys R Us all the time. I went to Toys R Us all the time. You know, that was our cheese for a very long time. But we didn't see Amazon coming up or we didn't see this dot com happening or we didn't see, uh, you know, Walmart growing the way it did. You know, Charles Lazarus was on the board of directors of Walmart. Right. And he didn't see what was happening right below him. Your cheese keeps moving. You've got to keep just saying, okay, where is, where is it going to happen next? And, and then maybe it's not as easy. Maybe you know it, it, It's not that easy. But in today's world, you've got to start thinking of, if you want to capitalize on what's going on with the times, what is going to be in our industry trends in six months from now, seven months from now that you can capitalize if we're still cocooning? And I think for a good part, we probably will be into the beginning of next year.
0: It's very classic educational theory as well based on Piaget, we've got the disequilibration of the world, which children have to respond to in order to learn and to learn those, create those neural pathways so you can actually learn. And it's it's the same basic cognitive constructivist learning process that really does help create creative people.
1: Uh, And I happen to think right now we're in a really good opportunity for kids in a lot of ways. We saw... The other day, uh, numbers come out where Barbie sales have increased because of creative role play. Now is the time for imaginative play. Put away the device, you know, start using children. You know, if the parents want to engage their kids, let them do some role playing, let them create. That's what really stimulates and brings children together. Uh, unfortunately they maybe not necessarily can be together but their imaginary friends could be there. And that's really important, especially at a young age. And we're losing that more and more to electronic devices. And, and to me, I've always fought electronics. I understand it's necessary, but I believe a great toy is one that creates imagination and creative play.
0: It's also important for parents to provide the option. And one of the things in talking to a lot of parents, I, I wrote a piece that I called, uh, That 70s Summer which is more of what we're having this year because parents are stretched tight and they can't micromanage their kids' lives and they are actually allowing their kids to create things. I know one young guy, he's probably, I think, 10, who got fascinated with World War One, so now he's doing all of that on his own. And kids are very self-motivated, but creating that space in which they can pursue their own interests or be imaginative is really important, and it's hard to do that when the experience is dictated by what you see on a phone, and that controls the experience.
1: Absolutely.
2: I think one thing we're going to see coming up is uh, in the coming years is this is going to be a whole generation of kids that has not had the opportunity to socialize in their most formative years because they're not with other kids right now. And it is going to be interesting to take a look at how toys are going to play a role in helping them Learn socialization when we come out of this. And what kind of toys are they going to want if they haven't been
1: socialized? I'll contradict you on that, but we're in a period now where a lot of people are getting their social interaction through a device, right? And they're afraid to have that personal communication. I think it was Marshall McLennan or somebody said, man cannot communicate and not be alive. Right? You need to communicate in order to function. Today's people generation function by looking at their device and sending text messages. Young kids, like you're saying, do need the interaction to grow. And hopefully we see a change just in parents being around and parenting. Right. When there's more of the parent interaction, there's more of that personality being passed through to the child. And values are being passed through the child as well from the parents because there's more engagement.
2: It makes you wonder if uh, helicoptering, uh, helicopter parenting isn't looking so much fun as it, as it was when you're on top of your kids all the time. Maybe parents will start letting go a little more.
1: I hope so. You know, I've talked to enough people who have young children around the house right now and how stressful it is between work and that, and trying to get their children educated. I, it's, I'm i grateful I'm not in that stage of my life, but I, I kudos to those parents who are dealing with it and surviving with it, especially as we gear up for schools, not restarting or restarting depending on how you determine that. Um, but it's going to be virtual and they're going to have pretty much, and they're going to have to figure out how to survive or keep their sanity, at least.
0: Given that we have a little bit of a luxury of time right now that never happens in the toy industry, where should people be thinking and where should they be addressing that creativity that we've talked about? Where should they be looking for the cheese?
1: If you haven't enhanced your Online presence, that's the first and most obvious place to go. That's a really tough question, frankly, Chris, because the retail scape is still so different.
2: Maybe maybe Kenny has said the cheese isn't there right now.
1: No, the cheese is there. Look at the companies who are doing well, right, who have had a strong online presence or refocused their business to the retailers that have remained open. Those who were nimble enough who had the domestic inventory reaped a lot of benefits. Friends of mine who were in crafts, they're, you know they had inventory that they initially they were concerned about now they're scrambling to get anything they can. So where are the cheeses? The cheese is now projecting what is going to be the next nesting area. Halloween is gone, right? the way we know we're not going to have traditional Halloween. So if you can come up with something that's unique to do a, a your stay at home, unique Halloween party, that would be the next trend because there is no back to school. Thanksgiving is traditional. Christmas is usually a home nesting type of thing. And then you go into your winter months, which is traditionally games and puzzles type of business. So if we're in the same situation we're in currently, those are trends that are going to be very strong. So if you're in the puzzle business or game business, you'd be looking at trying to take advantage of those trends six months from now.
2: Kenny, you are one of the multi-generational families in the toy industry, which is, which is not uncommon. What are some of your earliest memories of Toy Fair?
1: Earliest memories of Toy Fair started when I was probably six years old or, or more. We'd go in all the time and walk the building. This industry was in my blood, right? When I was a milk miner in elementary school, my dad would bring home samples. And it was the original trolls of that time. And I would sell them to the cafeteria ladies in the, in, in the elementary school. Uh, I would be <laughs> off from school. I'd go into the toy building. And I remember standing, playing with a, a toy that was in the window of my dad's showroom on the ninth floor. And the guy was standing there watching me. And next thing I know, he comes in, talks to one of the sales guys. And he wrote a $20,000 order on the toy because I was standing there playing with it. Early memories of the toy building on days off when we were off from school, we'd go in, my dad would call to see who was around, and I'd go from showroom to showroom and play for hours and walk out with toys at the end. <laughs> um, you know, Remco in the old days was a great place because they were a neighbor. It was, it, it was a very social building. It was where the life of the industry was. And if you had an office there, which we did, Um, you became very close with the people who were in the building all year round.
0: You mentioned that the toy industry is a very social industry, and all of us are so eager to get back to that. We will get through this time. The toy industry is completely resilient. Ken Lewis, thank you so much for spending the time with
1: us today. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Richard. I appreciate it.
0: Do it Ken. And now we come to the part of the show that we call the end cap, where Richard and I talk about some ideas that are relevant to the current state of the toy industry. And this week, there was big news. It looks like New York Toy Fair has been postponed after canceling Dallas for this year. What do you think, Richard? Well, I think it's
2: historic. I believe except for one year during World War II, this show has always gone on. I have to say I am very pleased that they've decided to postpone rather than to try to put on uh, a digital imitation.
0: Right. And the only other time, just for people who are keeping track, that Toy Fair was canceled since 1903 was in 1945. The government requested that the Toy Association cancel because they didn't want people moving around the country that much during the war. So it was historic. The fact that they've postponed it means it's not canceled. And also, if you look at Toy Fair really from the 50s forward, it did bounce around a lot in the spring it was February it was March it was even as late as April and they had tried to get a a toy fair in April at one point late April but that would have been an additional show but that never really materialized so we think because it's been in our frame of reference the toy fair is always when it is it actually is a movable feast
2: well that's that's good to know and it is a feast and that is why I am very glad that they're not taking a digital way out on this thing We're all hoping that by the spring, things will be a lot better. I just wrote about this on Global Toy News that uh, the Shenzhen Toy and Edu Fair uh, that you and I attended last year, uh, actually we spoke at last year, was postponed but just went on. It it occurred just a couple of weeks ago uh, in China. And to my knowledge, Chris, that's the first face-to-face physical show that has taken place since this epidemic started.
0: Hard as it is to believe that they were able to do it without us. Uh, <laughs> sure, it was much, much quieter. But, right. Uh, but that does bode well. As we do get past the virus and begin to get past it, that we will be able to have a toy fair. I wonder what the nature of it will be like. It will be, since many orders will already have been placed for Q4, it'll be a great time to share information. Uh, their aggressive education program will be very useful. And everybody we've talked to over the past months has said they cannot wait to be able to be back with people. So even for that reason, it would be great.
2: Well, just to go back to the Shenzhen show for a minute, due to travel restrictions, uh, you have to quarantine for two weeks if you come into China. But you, but within most of the provinces within China, you don't have to. So uh, this was a Chinese event. It was not uh, international this year. Uh, they still had... Uh, I don't remember the exact number, but around 1,300, 1,400 exhibitors. They had close to 70,000 attendees, if I'm recalling correctly. And that uh, they reported to me that people were satisfied. Thinking in terms of that, let's now extrapolate forward to Toy Fair in the spring. Number one, Chris, I would anticipate that people have deposits in place for booths. So anybody who has a booth will be there. Whether they will send as large a contingent to man that booth is questionable. Yeah, I I think my second prediction, Chris, would be that we're going to see lower attendance by uh, retailers. Again, I think um, retailers will go. I think they will send smaller contingents. And uh, so I think it's going to be a less populated show. I think it's going to call upon the Toy Association to do is how do they drive energy? It's going to be important that the Toy Association determine how they can take advantage of this desire by many people to to rejoin the community uh, in in a very much of a physical way.
0: I think so, too. And I'd like to make one prediction myself, which is that when we go to Toy Fair in February, we often see... Lines that are still in flux, lines that have not necessarily been completely fleshed out, toys that are still in either early or somewhat developed prototypes. I think by going later in the year, there will be that much more development having gone on with the product lines. So we'll be seeing closer to what we'll see in the final quarter of the year. I think that so it may be a very interesting, maybe even leaner lines altogether. Well, let me just hitchhike
2: on that point. Okay. And- That's a really good point. Uh, Chris, I'm going to wonder if Toy Fair this year will not take on some more importance. I don't know if Hong Kong is going to happen this year, but I would think even if it does, uh, attendance will be way down. Which makes me think that uh, a number of companies will have not seen product yet. There may be some more delayed buying decisions, which means manufacturers are going to have to chop some wood, (laughs) (laughs) some product out. Uh, so it could actually make Toy Fair uh, New York this year more important,
0: ironically. I think there's a good potential that it will.
2: But, Chris, I think that the, the big question is, and in, in this has been going through my mind lately, and let me just strike this from a broader context. You live in New York. I live in New York. There have been people who've moved out of New York. And, and that kind of, of uh, thought process is based on the fact that they think that this is the way the world's going to be from now on, rather than that this is a temporary glitch in how we live our lives. So I I think just as with Toy Fair, in the same sense with Toy Fair, I think we're going to go back to normal in 2021. I don't think we're going to see huge changes to the show. There could be some more digital component to it. But by and large, I'm predicting that 2021 will be very familiar.
0: Well, let's hope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> as we keep saying throughout all of this pandemic and all the changes it's wrought on the industry we're just going to have to wait and see and we hope that you can't wait for our next episode of the playground podcast i'm chris byrne with richard gottlieb we're brought to you by global toy experts kids stuff public relations and the toy guy and we will see you next time bye-bye, bye-bye.